from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And if you want to join the conversation, our telephone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And it's the uh, Tuesday edition of America at Night with me and happy to be here. Lots to discuss. Um, big news uh, from Tucker Carlson. He's... Uh, announcing that he's going to bring his show to Twitter. Uh, more on that a little bit later. There's a, a statement from him that he put on Twitter earlier, uh, as well as um, a statement that was put out by President Trump in response to uh, the verdict uh, with him today. Uh, Trump was found not guilty of rape in the uh, case where he was being sued by E. Jean Carroll. And uh, the judge did find him liable for battery and defamation and has uh, levied a $5 million uh, penalty on him that he's got to pay. And we're going to get to the bottom of that in a little bit. <clears throat> uh, but fascinating how none of these cases are, are settled uh, at the time of when they're brought. Uh, interesting how they happen when when he's running for president. Interesting how they say no one, one thing and yes to another. And it, it seems to me like it's a splitting of hairs. Um Listen, I believe in doing the right thing and people who are guilty of something should be should be held accountable. Uh, but in a case like this, it seems so um, out of sync. It seems so politically convenient to do it now at a time where they're doing their darndest right to to knock him off of his perch as the front runner for 2024 in the Republican primary. And it, the fact that that gets thrown out the window in any of the reporting any, any at all, any of the reporting, it just seems like, well, look, we've always known Trump is just a horrible guy. So, you know, it's just sooner or later, the walls are closing in, you know, it's that leftist narrative. And again, not excusing any bad behavior. Um, but this does really seem like a witch hunt, at least in, in my best estimation, it does. Uh, if this, if there, if there was really any merit to this, I, I feel like this would have happened a lot sooner, a lot earlier. This is uh, reminiscent of the Mueller probe and of every other thing that they've kind of put Trump through. You know, he might be guilty of a lot of things like um, uh, always having a serious tan, uh, having a really interesting hairdo, you know, mean tweets, whatever it is you want to say, uh, being able to talk for a really, really, really long time, uh, being very funny. All of these things uh, might be true at Trump. But a lot of this other stuff to me seems like it's they're just really uh, out to get him. And uh, it, it's very unfortunate, not for him, but more so for us or the American people. For the fact that you can't have someone, um, or at least they're trying to make it so that you can't have someone outside of the political establishment or outside of uh, what's considered uh, acceptable by the, the ruling class to, to run for the highest office in the land. And it, it makes me think, you know, hmm, no chance for me, no chance for the rest of us, the the uh, Joe Q public, you know, the, the working stiff that wants to uh, one day get involved, you know, maybe good luck on a school board race, 
but it seems like they're perfecting the strategy to keep out the real independent, right? And in my opinion, Donald Trump is really the independent. He's the guy who comes in there, guns blazing against everybody, and he's got friends on both sides as well. He's truly the the independent. He was in 2016. He wasn't beholden to the Republican Party, even though he ran as a, a Republican. He wasn't beholden to the Democrat Party. He just went in there and he was beholden to himself and his supporters, the people. And it's just unfortunate. Uh, but we have a, um, a clip of Trump uh, with his announcement uh, in response to this verdict. Listen to this. What else can you expect from a Trump-hating, Clinton-appointed judge who went out of his way to make sure that the result of this trial was as negative as it could possibly be, speaking to and in control of a jury from an anti-Trump area, which is probably the worst place in the United States for me to get a fair trial. We'll be appealing this decision. It's a disgrace. I don't even know who this woman is. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. We cannot let our country go into this abyss. This is disgraceful. You have somebody running for office. You have a woman that's financed and lied about it. She totally lied about it by Democrat operatives like just about the biggest one there is. And she said that wasn't true. They found that she lied about it, and the judge wasn't even, I guess, letting it be put in as evidence. The whole thing is a scam, and it's a shame, and it's a disgrace to our country. And again, I think uh, that's probably really accurate, a lot of what Trump is saying. Because uh, ultimately, Trump's, uh, you know, on the, on the last, um, on the last, bastion right of of his career and his career trajectory you know he's been president he's been successful uh, but there's the rest of the world right and the rest of america that uh the, the future generations that really will suffer from these precedents that are being set against him he'll eventually retire and he, he's wealthy and he's well off and he'll be all right no matter how he ends up he'll be all right but it's everybody else that i think is going to pay the price when we're we're not as you know um as well off as trump or or people who uh, aren't as savvy and are able to take on the media and take on the establishment the way Trump was able to, they're going to lose every time. And, and this is to me, um, it's that, um, it's that last stand that has to be taken where the, the little guy, if you will, has a chance. Now the judge who presided over the case, uh, and found former president Trump, uh, not guilty of rape has advised jurors to stay anonymous for a long time. That's a quote, a long time. A U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan instructed jurors not to identify themselves, citing concerns for their safety due to potential harassment. Kaplan, it's, it's funny. I, when was the last time you did a Google search uh, that that jurors in a Trump case were being harassed? I'll wait. I doubt this has happened. Right. But it's interesting that they go out on a limb to do these things. Kaplan had previously ordered an anonymous jury for the trial. Um, pointing to, oh, guess what? January 6, 2021, and the Capitol attack and Trump's history of attacking jurors. <laughs> Unbelievable. The, the, these judges, uh, I think, again, you know, uh, clearly, I, I guess I, I'm biased in, in this, but I can't help but look at this and think, 
These people are out of control. Uh, A while back, very quickly, I I was on um, British television giving my opinions on a few things. And um, the host asked me, he's like, are you concerned about violence? I said, for what? What what violence? When have we ever seen violence? The only time there's ever been any violence was uh, January 6th. And I think it's pretty clear as day when you ask the FBI, did you have anybody embedded with uh, the crowd there that was dressed as Trump supporters? Any informants? And crickets, and they say, sorry, we can't tell you that. I think that, that that's enough of an answer. Anyway, we're going to continue to talk about this. We're going to continue to get into what's going on with Hunter Biden. Uh, will he be indicted this week? Yes, no, maybe so. More on that, plus the uh, attack on America. And uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro weighs in. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. The verdict is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. Absolutely a shame. This was a very unfair trial. That's all you have to say. This was a very unfair trial. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, That's a statement from... uh, the 45th president of the United States on the verdict that came out today where he was found not guilty of rape and found uh, liable for both defamation and uh, battery. Now, our guest is somebody you know from television. You've seen her on The Five as well as you've heard her on radio. And she's the author of a brand new book, Crimes Against America, The Left's Takedown of Our Republic. Judge Jeanine Pirro, welcome. Hi, it's good to be with you. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. So, you know, hearing from President Trump and hearing this news of the day, what's your initial reaction to what's going on? Well, you know, what what you've got is a case that was allowed to come forward because the New York State Legislature passed a law saying that they would give people one year to file a complaint Uh, that is well past the statute of limitations. And so this case came in in that regard. Uh, I didn't follow it that closely. It's a civil case where the the burden of proof is by a preponderance of the evidence. Um, You know, it's more likely that it happened than that it did not happen. And, uh, you know, there is a clearly an appellate process, which apparently uh, they've indicated they will use. But I think that the verdict is interesting because, on the one hand, they didn't believe uh, the claim that she was raped, but they believed something happened. And that's kind of interesting to me because you either believe what she said or you don't believe what she said. Mm -hmm. But having said that, it's our justice system and uh, it's civil, not criminal. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens on appeal. Right. And and it is interesting to see that. And I I feel like oftentimes in these civil cases, um, they're always going after money or if they're going after Trump or anybody that's a a big public figure, oftentimes they're trying to slow them down, right? They're trying to do whatever they can to stop them uh, in one way or another. Now, looking at, 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 uh, go go right ahead. No, well, I, I don't think there's any question to an objective viewer that this, this man has been 
investigated and uh, interrogated uh, beyond anything that any of us have ever seen in our lifetime, let alone a president of the United States. And I think that uh, the American justice system is such that at this point, most people believe that it is an unequal justice system. And it's hard for me to say that, Rich, because I've been a prosecutor, a judge, and a DA Mm -hmm. for over three decades. And it kind of makes me feel like I fought so hard for so many years, uh, and yet now the system has just been so tainted with weaponizing it and politicizing it. And, you know, people believe that there's one system for one group of people and one for another. So, you know, on the one hand, you've got people like Jim Comey are standing up and saying, you know, I wouldn't prosecute Hillary Clinton Uh, Although it wasn't his job, he wasn't the United States attorney or the attorney general. And uh, you've got a FISA court that was lied to in order to spy on Donald Trump. And there was no consequence, no sanction. And, you know, this whole thing about the classified documents, hell, Hillary Clinton bleach bit or whatever. She she used the word bleach bit. She got rid of thirty three thousand emails. And nothing happened. I mean, and so that's one of the reasons I wrote Crimes Against America. We've gotten to the point in this country where people are seeing what's happening finally. And this is my fourth political book, but this is the one that has my passion in it, because any objective observer can see that America is no longer a sovereign nation. We're a globalist landing spot with benefits. Anybody who wants to come here can come here, and if they want medication, education, housing, they're going to get it. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they've done. We don't know where they've been, and yet we open the border to them. And we've got 5 million people here since Joe Biden became president. And on Thursday, when Title 42 is dropped, there will be a surge and an invasion unlike anything that we've seen in this country's history. And that is not what the American people want. If we're going to take care of people, we've got to take care of senior citizens, the people who built the streets we walked down. We've got to take care of veterans, the people who fought the wars and came back with fewer limbs than when they left. But no, we're just letting anybody in who wants to come in. And rich, we're all immigrants, but we did it the right way. And our families did it mm-hmm. the right way. And my dad fought in World War II. And my grandfather fought in World War II. I mean, there's a price to pay for being an American. And my, my, my grandparents were proud to do it. And to this day, the American flag flies in front of my home. And then now suddenly, you know, America is last. We've got a president and an administration that comes in and says, you know what, we're a racist country. Remember that right at the beginning? Let's let the U.N. decide if we're racist. Are you kidding me? We fought a civil war. We got the Civil Rights Act. We constantly try to improve in that regard. And now we've got police defunded. We've got we've got peep crimes where people are not kept in on bail. Bail is a constitutional issue. It is in- included in the Constitution. And all of the all of the hallmarks of our country are being destroyed. All of the institutions, the 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 educational institution where they're showing books to kindergarten kids that, as a prosecutor, I would say is pornography, Mm. child pornography. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot going on. But I think right now in crimes against America, it's a bigger issue. And we've got to step back and look at it. Judge Jeanine Pirro, does Joe Biden run again in 2024? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, he has every intention of running. He has an enabler for a wife who, you know, kind of walks him around and laughs and says, Joe, we're over here. Oh, come over here, yeah. Joe. I mean, it, it is it is very, very disturbing. And it's not about age because, as you can see, a lot of people who are older have a very quick wit. This man is in cognitive decline. He hasn't had a press conference this year. He goes to Ireland with his family. Hunter comes along. And a week later on Bring Your Child to Work Day, the kids say, where was the last country you were in? He couldn't remember. It was in Ireland the week before. Who? You know what I have to ask you, Richard? Who is who is doing the negotiating in these meetings with world leaders? It's not right. Joe Biden. He, he can't even come out and say what he said. And the man is in cognitive decline. And even before he was in cognitive decline, he was a plagiarist. He would steal other people's words and thoughts because he was incapable himself. And I'm tired of this, come on, man, or him looking at the press who, who are complicit with him and, and kind of looking down at them in this condescending smirk like, yeah, yeah, don't talk to me. Uh, we can't have this anymore. We can't have a president who doesn't believe in, in law and order, who doesn't believe that, 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 that streets need to be safe and that uh, kids need to go to school and learn about things that are important. But we had a president who was so beholden to the, to the unions that our kids were out of school while they were in school in Germany, in China, in Japan, and the rest of the world. While our kids were, were suffering from the emotional stress of the loss of that peer, uh, that, that peer um, audience and back and forth that they would have in school. We're a mess. And our kids in this generation is suffering for it. Folks, we're on with uh, Judge Janine Pirro. She's the author of Crimes Against America, the left's takedown of our republic. Uh, Judge, in, in the minute that we have remaining, um, let everybody know how they can uh, keep up to speed with all the work that you're doing and um, get a copy or two copies of the book. Thank you. All right. It's Crimes Against America. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, winningpublishing.com. That's winning as the word winningpublishing.com. It comes out on May 23rd. As I said, it's, it's my fourth political book, and the other three did pretty well. But this is one that is my passion. My heart is in it. You know, we've got to take our country back, Rich, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. You bet, Judge. Thank you for being with us. Godspeed to you. Good luck on the book and hope to talk to you again soon. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to continue this discussion and more. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Continuing our discussion on the news of the day, and uh, Tucker Carlson, you might know him from the Fox News Channel, primetime host there. He uh, was recently ousted, as we discussed on this show, and he's released a statement a little bit earlier today, uh, probably about about three, four, five, six hours ago, uh, announcing that he is back. Listen to this. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies. But most of the time, that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is, in fact, true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. I'm misleading you. And that's what the news media are doing in every story that matters every day of the week, every week of the year. What's it like to work in a system like that? After more than 30 years in the middle of it, we could tell you stories. The best you can hope for in the news business at this point is the freedom to tell the fullest truth that you can. But there are always limits. And you know that if you bump up against those limits often enough, you will be fired for it. That's not a guess. It's guaranteed. Every person who works in English language media understands that. The rule of what you can't say defines everything. It's filthy, really, and it's utterly corrupting. You can't have a free society if people aren't allowed to say what they think is true. Speech is the fundamental prerequisite for democracy. That's why it's enshrined in the first of our constitutional amendments. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Twitter has long served as the place where our national conversation incubates and develops. Twitter is not a partisan site. Everybody's allowed here, and we think that's a good thing. And yet, for the most part, the news that you see analyzed on Twitter comes from media organizations that are themselves thinly disguised propaganda outlets. You see it on cable news. You talk about it on Twitter. The result may feel like a debate, but actually the gatekeepers are still in charge. We think that's a bad system. We know exactly how it works, and we're sick of it. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things, too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. 
Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. So that's the announcement from Tucker Carlson. And uh, very interesting. Uh, I I would suspected that something like this would happen, uh, but I also suspect that there's going to be a a big um, legal battle. And again, we don't know the elements of his contract. However, the the majority of these media contracts are very um, very technical. And um, I'm guessing when the bigger you are, the more negotiating power you have to allow for more more of a buffer. So in Carlson's case, maybe he is allowed to do something digitally or streaming outside of his contract with Fox News. I don't know. I can't speculate on it. But I can tell you that many of these contracts will prevent you, whether it's radio or television. Uh, they don't want you to succeed if you leave them. And in my opinion, the goal of Fox News here um, or Murdoch and, and his um, and his higher ups are to marginalize Carlson, to not allow him to have a voice, to not allow him to provide leadership, commentary, insider analysis into the 2024 election. So with that being said, uh, keeping him off the air is a win for them. Him going on Twitter is a win for him. And uh, I think no matter what, no matter where, he comes back and he's he's okay, right? I, I don't think that's a question that's being asked. I think that the question that we're asking is, is he going to be able to have his influence continue through this election cycle? And uh, I, I would certainly hope so. I would think it's horrible that you have an organization that is a media organization, right? It's the free press, or at least one would suppose it's the free press. It's presumed to be the free press. And yet everything they're doing flies in the face of the spirit of what the Constitution created the free press to be, which was to have that free speech and to be a watchdog on the government. So it's it's just an interesting time, in my opinion, where we see this type of thing happen. And we'll see how this plays out. I, can't, I can only imagine if this show starts on Twitter that there will be some litigation to stop him, saying, look, you're under contract with us, you're not allowed to do that, yada, 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 unless he's allowed to do it. And I guess that's what we don't know. And I'm sure they're going to go back and forth on this stuff. Uh, but I can't imagine a scenario where a big media company allows any of their talent to to say, well, you know, if, we're, if we get into a dispute, then uh, I'm just going to go and stream my show. That's usually already built into the contract to prevent that talent from doing that. And I'm supposing that he probably cut this deal with Elon Musk. And we'll see. Again, all I'm doing is speculating. Um, lucky and kudos to Carlson if he maintained that ability to go and do digital streaming on his own. Um, then great. He's uh, free and clear. And then uh, he could wait out his, his time for broadcast or cable and take whatever job he wants to or start his own media company. I mean, again, I think he's, he's big enough where he could pull that off and not skip a beat. Look at Megyn Kelly. Megyn Kelly, who um, was ousted by NBC News, um, sued them, forced them to pay out, I think, $69 million in the rest of her contract, and now has $69 million. And she does a podcast. It's like a video podcast. And she does what she wants. She's beholden to no one, right? She's just there with her with her audience and uh, speaking with her viewers and listeners. So um, I think there's there's nothing more free than a press like that one. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? And uh, this would be the, the, the epitome of a free press. Um, and I think that's what we ought to allow anybody out there to do, whether you're on NPR, whether you're on the extreme left, like AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all out crazy, or uh, anybody that's <clears throat> to the right of center. Everybody should have their shot to um, give their opinions because that is what fair and uh, robust conversation is about. That is what a free press is about. And ultimately, that is what America should be about. Anyway, we will uh, continue our discussion on what's going on today and more in America at night with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Is the United States ready for the surge of people that's going to come across the border starting later this week? I spent uh, close to an hour with with the Mexican president today. Uh, We're doing all we can. Uh, The answer is uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, We've gotten overwhelming cooperation from Mexico. Uh, We also are in the process of setting up uh, uh, offices in Colombia and other places where you can, where someone seeking asylum can go first. So, but it remains to be seen. It's going to be chaotic for a while. You really just have to have uh, either a high degree of disdain or a real appreciation for Joe Biden's way of being so nonchalant about just about everything. It's going to be chaotic for a while. It's been chaotic for the entire while you've been here, sir. And to to say that you're going to do everything you can. Really? Are you doing everything you can? I mean, you're literally president of the United States, leader of the free world. You could do everything under the sun with a lot less opposition than Trump ever had. And uh, I don't see Biden doing any of those things. I don't see him implementing any of the Trump era policies that helped to stem the tide of immigration. I don't see him uh, using the military in any creative way to protect uh, our country. I don't see him uh, labeling the narco terrorists at the border exactly that narco terrorists and using special forces to go after these uh, fentanyl factories and blow them up and do whatever. I mean, there's lots of things that they can do uh, when you're sitting with the president of Mexico. You know, you could sit down and pretend you've got a brass set there and say, hey, look, President AMLO. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send in a team of Navy SEALs and we're going to destroy these places and uh, we're going to start a little war down here. Or you could help and you could we could be partners on this and we could, you know, and and you you make the the veiled threats and the thinly veiled threats and the overt threats and you let them know, look, we're not going to play this game anymore. This enterprise has to be uh, we have to stem this. this. It's over. This has to end. And again, I, I don't. Uh, pretend to live in the clouds here where I think that we can end uh, a drug cartel overnight. No, I think we can start a a serious fight to, to slow things down. One thing I've learned over the years of just in life 
now that I'm 45 years old, by the way, um, one of the things I've learned is that when you give people a hard time, oftentimes they'll leave. And that's just that, right? When, when somebody's looking to rob somebody, they might see somebody wearing a gold chain and they want to rob them. But if that somebody is, you know, six foot eight and 320 pounds of muscle, they probably might go to the next person. Not doesn't, it's not guaranteed, but they, it might say, you know what? This guy looks like he might put up a fight. He's a really big guy, might grab me and my buddy, you know, knock us together like two coconuts and toss us to the side. So, you know what? Maybe that's not the guy we should rob. Maybe we should wait for somebody a little smaller that looks like they'd give in to our demands a little easier, right? Because people always look for the path of least resistance. Not everybody's looking for a challenge. And ultimately, I think that this is Biden. He gives them the easiest route to go, whether it's uh, on purpose or or because he's weak, whatever. That's debatable and that's fine. We could have that debate all day. But what we can't debate is the fact that Biden makes it easy for foreign enemies, for um, uh, nations uh, that border us that are not necessarily on, on board with us, like Mexico and Canada, to uh, to do what they want to do and to have total disregard for our country and our borders. And that's not something that has to be that way. Biden can technically and totally enforce um, the law. He can flex the muscle that he has, but he chooses not to. And obviously, in my opinion, it's because he's been leveraged some way. And I don't mean like blackmail or anything like that. I mean like politically leveraged. You know, somebody told him, you know, there's a benefit for him somewhere and he's saying, oh, okay, then great. I also think he's incredibly pacifistic. Uh, he, he was against going after Obama. He's not a a um, a wartime kind of guy. He's not very hawkish in, in any uh, regard. He's Biden. He's, you know, squint, smile, and, you know, make a joke and just say things like, it's going to be chaotic for a while. But that's what he said today. So Joe Biden predicts uh, today that the U.S.-Mexico border is going to be chaotic for a while. And this is according to the Associated Press when uh, Title 42 restrictions end. And uh, they have, from most estimates by media reports, 700,000 people that are waiting to, uh, to bum rush the border. Now, these restrictions have been there since 2020. And they've allowed the United States to quickly return uh, border crossers back into Mexico or wherever country they came from. And they're ending uh, in two days. So it's chaotic, I think, is what it's been. I think absolute uh, war zone is what it's going to be in the next couple of days. And uh, just adding to that, they now have an app where they can apply to expedite the process. So basically... You know, um, the uh, the great one, Mark Levin, has often talked about uh, Frances Fox Pivens and her husband, Richard Cloward, uh, two professors and communist sympathizers who um, have uh, coined the term the uh, Cloward-Piven model. And, um, and, and this Cloward-Piven strategy is to overload a system so that you basically, you know, you, you, it's like Stalin's idea of using the system to, to destroy the system. And, and that's exactly what's happening here. This is uh, the biggest cloward piven strategy uh, at play where they have these people lined up. They're ready to go. 700,000 people are at the border. They're waiting for Title 42 to expire to overwhelm the system. And instead, what they've done is they've prepared to be overwhelmed, not to stop it, mitigate it, or prevent it, but to 
allow it to happen and have an app to say, oh, where do you want to go? We're going to allow you to, to call the shots by using this app. It's absolutely um, crazy, the CBP1 app that they've created to allow people to figure out what they want to do on their own. Uh, so we've got 1,900 miles of border with Mexico, and the entire thing is at risk. And what does Kareem Jean-Pierre have to say? Well, we'll get to that straight ahead when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. There are challenges at the border. This is something that the president has taken seriously from day one, putting forth a, a comprehensive uh, piece of legislation to deal with immigration reform, something that has been a problem for the past several decades. The system has been broken for the past several decades. So that's uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, KJP, the White House press secretary, saying the system's been broken for decades. Uh, this almost reminds me of when Kamala Harris would say, you know, we have to address the root of the problem, why there's migration. We have to go to the Northern Triangle, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't believe any of that to be true. I don't believe we have to go fix other countries. Even if we went and broke those countries, I don't think we have to go and fix these other countries uh, just to stop people from coming here. I just don't. Uh, Call me whatever you want to call me, an imperialist, crazy uh, capitalist pig. I'll take it. Yeah, that's just not how that works. But you, you have a responsibility to protect your country. Whatever happens, happens, right? That's that's the job. Can't sit here and say, I mean, you can have discussions, you can have policies, you can have aid packages, you can have all sorts of things to try and help the next guy. Uh, you can try to have trade agreements so that they can get a piece of the pie, cut them in on the action, all sorts of things. Uh, but what you can't do is just allow... Uh, the status quo to continue and put the country at risk. Now, um, speaking of the border, we've got El Chapo. Probably won't have time to get into all of this, but uh, I'll tease it for a little bit later because I want to talk about um, some comments that uh, Secretary Anthony Blinken had today about El Chapo's children. And uh, so let's just bookmark that for uh, for further use. Uh, I also want to talk about you know, these regimes, you've got regimes all over the world. Um, you know, Mexico is not necessarily a regime. The regime there is the cartel. You know, AMLO, President AMLO, while he might be a, a left-leaning um, sympathizer of, of socialism, he's he's not a regime, right? I wouldn't label him as a regime. Um, but I would say, you know, you've got the regime in, in Cuba, which, you know, doesn't really look for too many problems because they just like to subsist as a communist island. Uh, you've got regimes uh, like the the Ayatollah and then the Mullahs and the Taliban, <clears throat> you know, uh, all over uh, Afghanistan and uh, and in um, Iran. Um, and you've got uh, Kim Jong-un, you know, the son of Kim Jong-il in North Korea. And there's um, they also like to kind of stay out of the limelight for the most part. But every now and again, it's good to shed some light on what they do right in North Korea, because North Korea can be I mean, I don't think that they're an immediate threat, but they do have um, the potential to be a, a threat, um, you know, at any given time. 
depending on how they feel that day when they just start deciding to send rockets, you know, like near Hawaii and whatnot. So um, straight ahead, we're going to have a conversation on what it was like to be in North Korea and then what it was like to defect from North Korea and pursue freedom in America. Fascinating conversation. I think this is going to be uh, with Yunmi Park. So stay tuned. Your calls and more, of course, are welcomed on topic 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. There is more to come straight ahead. So just keep it locked right here and don't go anywhere because we're coming right back. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and our telephone number if you want to join our late-night National Town Hall Forum. You're welcome to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S, just like uh, the social media handle where you can chime in online if you'd like. And um, earlier we discussed that uh, Tucker Carlson's announced he's relaunching his show on Twitter. Uh, jury has found uh, former President Trump not guilty of rape and liable for defamation and battery in the E. Jean Carroll suit. Uh, Hunter Biden uh, is still rumored to be uh, in legal trouble and with a potential indictment this week. We'll see what's going on. And we also have a uh, cooperation between Japan, the United States, and South Korea, where they're negotiating sharing uh, the missile data belonging to North Korea, uh, as much as they know where these North Korean missiles are. Now, the cooperation amongst these three nations is important because, uh, especially amongst uh, Japan and South Korea, um, North Korea is obviously a very big threat threat to them. So uh, those are those negotiations that are going on. And the um, agreement would be on sharing real-time data on North Korea's missile uh, missile launches. And they're not sure exactly how they're going to reach this cooperation. But the uh, chief cabinet secretary, Hirokazu Matsuno, said that there has been no agreement as of yet, but he understands that the defense authorities are vigorously proceeding to set up such an arrangement between the United States, Japan, and South Korea. Now, again, like I said, uh, North Korea is is a threat, but not a, an imminent threat in the United States, but definitely poses an imminent threat to its closest neighbors and allies and obviously poses a threat to its own residents. Now, we don't hear much about that because we don't always know what's going on, you know, behind enemy lines, beyond the DMZ, what what life is like inside of North Korea unless we speak with a defector. And we have one such defector in Yeonmi Park. 
Uh, she's the author of While Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America, her new book. Make sure you check that out. Yeonmi Park, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. So uh, let's first, I guess, maybe help everybody understand your story. If you could give us a little bit of a biographical sketch of, you know, how old you were at the time of, uh, you know, what it was like growing up and then what it was like to eventually leave. Yeah, I was born in North Korea in the 90s. And when I was growing up in North Korea, we had this man-made famine by the regime. And millions of people died. So growing up in North Korea, my daily life was really surviving. I ate grasshoppers, dragonflies, you know, eat bugs and insects, plants to survive. And eventually, uh, when I was uh, 13 years old, I couldn't any find any food. But in at school, I never learned about the world, and I never seen the map of the world. Only thing that I heard about the outside world was that there is like American bastards, which it was one word that were like cold-blooded reptiles. They would eat North Koreans and kill us. Wow. And then I, I've never even seen a map of the world. And luckily, I was living in the border town of North Korea, and at nighttime, I was able to see these lights coming from China, electricity lights. And that's I thought, if I go where the lights were, I maybe find a bowl of rice. And that led me to escape from North Korea when I was 13 years old in 2007. Wow. So uh, when you um, were able to, to get away, what was that, that journey like? Uh, as soon as I escaped to China, first thing that I witnessed was my mother being raped. Oh and God. I don't think people know about this, that China had a one-child policy recently. Mm -hmm. And because of this policy, uh, they aborted a lot of girls and they chose sons, especially in China. And now there are 33 million Chinese men cannot find wives. They're not just enough women to go by to these men. So they buy North Korean girls as sex slaves, and they set us like livestock. So they sold my mother for $65 in the 21st century, and they sold me just over $200 because oh I was 13 and child virgin. Wow. And how long did you have that experience in China? Yeah, so I was enslaved by this man uh, for two years. And after two years, I w met Christian missionaries from South Korea. And they told me how to get out of China. They told me that I could go, I could be free if I go to South Korea, which meant that I had to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert into Mongolia from China at night. And when I was 15 years old, I crossed the Gobi Desert into Mongolia by foot. And then from there, I was sent to South Korea in 2009. Wow. And so getting to South Korea, so you, you, this is quite a journey. And you get to South Korea and tell me, uh, what was it like there? Did you stay there for a long time or uh, did you quickly try to make your way to the United States? I was in South Korea for five years, and I did my. I went to university there. Uh, I came to America 2015, 
in South Korea was shocking to me. It was almost like time traveling, you know, going to different planets. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've never seen an air conditioner, shower. And not only that, in South Korea, they have something called the freedom and human rights. And in North Korea, we don't even have that vocabulary. We don't even know what freedom means. So I had to really learn everything from scratch. Wow. What what was that process of acclimation like where you get used to, uh, or, you know, getting acclimated with, with this new way of life? How long did that culture shock last for you? I mean, to this day, I still get shocked, you know, um, because it's even like America has more prosperity and more opportunity. But in, initially, those shocks in the beginning where I could not trust ever again in my life because when I got there, the first thing these officials in South Korea told me that everything that I believed about in North Korea was lying. They said that kings are not gods. They are dictators. They don't have power to read my mind. And when I was in North Korea, I was so brainwashed that I thought Kim Jong-il could read my mind. And I was even afraid to think. And then they said, you know, everything was a lie. So I was thinking, like, how do I trust ever again after it? So it took a lot of time and learning to understand what happened to my people in North Korea. Wow. Folks, uh, we are on with uh, Yeonmi Park. She's a North Korean defector and human rights activist. And as you've heard, she escaped the brutal uh, Kim dictatorship as a teenager, only to fall victim to sex trafficking in China before escaping to South Korea, then walking across the Gobi Desert, eventually making her way to the United States. And we're going to pick up uh, on the rest of her journey when we come back, uh, what she does once she gets to the United States and uh, compares uh, and contrasts her experiences throughout. Yeonmi Park, quite a remarkable person you are and quite a remarkable story, and we're going to continue with this. If you don't mind, stick around. Folks, if you have a question or would like to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, Rich Valdez and our guest is Yeonmi Park. Uh, she's the author of Wild Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America. Uh, that's her book. And you want to definitely uh, pick up a copy of that and another copy to give away uh, because she's a human rights advocate and she's sounding the alarm on the radical ideologies of woke politics and authoritarian tendencies that are tearing apart her new homeland, the United States. Now, Yonmi Park, we uh, we had a discussion about you. you um, again, just to recap, you defected from North Korea, escaping into China, uh, leaving the Kim dictatorship as a teenager, and then um, getting captured and sold into sex slavery and trafficked. Uh, in China, then walking across the Gobi Desert to eventually make your way to uh, America. And now you're a United States citizen and you're in the United States. Uh, Tell us 
in so much as you can. Um, how do you see any similarities, uh, whether it was in your university education or in any other area of American life um, compared with uh, North Korea? Yeah, so I came to America in 2015, and then I studied at Columbia University in 2016, January. When I got there, I was really surprised to see that, you know, professors really telling you to hate America. And in North Korea, everything, education is around demonizing America and how horrible free capitalism is. And that sentiment of anti-freedom, anti-capitalism, anti-American is as high as North Korea. And the surprising thing is that in North Korea, if you don't follow the government propaganda, there's a bullet there to shoot you to death. However, in America, that was uh, doing voluntarily by these professors and my classmates. And with a real passion, why they were so privileged from living in a free society and benefit from capitalism themselves. And it's, I know, of course, this cancer culture like North Korea, where the first thing my mom taught me as a young girl was don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. And if I said one wrong thing in the country, it was not just going to kill me. It was going to kill three to eight generations of my family because one person says one wrong word. And at Colombia, because of this name of safe space, where emotional safety, they somehow understand feelings are the most important thing in the world. Feelings will override the logic and the truth. So if somebody feels oppressed, they are oppressed. And it's not the institution where you search for truth and learn how to think for yourself. It's literally you go there and the professors tell you what to believe, tell you what to think. And it's an indoctrination camp like North Korean schools are. And that's when I really saw that the American is in the same trajectory that my North Korea history went through. You know, now, th- this has to be uh, shocking, right? Because you're, you're seeing all the opportunity that America offers and, and you're finally free from all of these horrible things that you've endured. And then you get here and you go to the most prestigious university you can think of. And then you find out that the professors are teaching the students to be very similar to what you've escaped from. Um, How how did that make you feel? I was, (laughs) I was really eventually was, I got numbed by them because, you know, when, in North Korea, that's the thing also you do. You get numbed because you have to mm-hmm. join this group think. And if you think for yourself and start their calling and start your bigot and Nazi and racist, all of these words, and they redefine what racism means. They redefine what oppression means. They would tell me that I don't understand oppression because I'm a white passing person. And I was literally sold as a sex slave for $20 when I was 13 years old. These people were never gone to bed hungry ever, never seen anybody dying from starvation in their life. And lecturing me and telling me that I cannot possibly understand oppression because of my skin color. And that was so beyond evil to me because in North Korea, we get determined, our status, our caste being determined based on what our ancestors did. If my great grandfather was a landowner, that means they say my blood is tainted. 
my genetics is oppressive. And now at Columbia Day say, if you're white, you're privileged and you're guilty. You're, you are oppressive to other people. And if you are white, you cannot possibly understand oppression. And that's the thing now they call Asians are new white and telling me that I cannot possibly understand oppression. And dividing people based on their skin color and their ideologies. And in North Korea, like, you know, I was afraid that somebody was watching and reporting on us. And in Colombia, the same thing. We don't know who's going to go report on us if we say something that was politically incorrect. And they're walking on the eggshell and afraid and afraid to be called a racist. So, of course, the, the punishment was not like North Korea, but the, the tendencies, the tactics were exactly like North Korea. That's uh, it's, it's shocking. And again, folks, we're on with Yeonmi Park. She's the author of While Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America. Uh, Yeonmi, what what uh, from the lessons you've learned and you've seen, you know, the hypocrisy of of the global elites and illustrated by your experiences at, at, at different uh, um, organizations and conferences. Um, I see that you've attended TED and uh, Women in the World, Campfire and the Met Gala. T- tell me a little bit about your, your thoughts on those. Yeah, so I came to America not knowing, not having any agenda. I did not even know the world Democrat or Republican. I came here, as I said, I never even seen the map of the world. I came to America and you know, I read about these people, Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey, Hillary Clinton, mm. Jeff Bezos, and and they publicly keep saying how they support the women's rights, how they denounce slavery. They keep saying slavery is wrong. And I had a great hope. I really believed what this American elite saying in public. So I had a chance to meet Jeff Bezos. He literally flew me on a private jet with Harvey Weinstein right before mm. the Me Too. And Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, all these world leaders and actresses and influencers and business leaders. I got to them, I talked to them about what was happening in China. There are 300,000 North Korean girls right now. Their organs are harvested out of them. They are sold and raped and killed in the 21st century. And none of these people have any problem supporting women who were persecuted by Taliban or ISIS or Boko Haram. But none of these people want to ever want to make a statement or denouncing what China was doing, what CCP was doing. And because they were all having business interests in China. So they say, oh, I'm sorry what you went through, but please don't tell people that you know me, that we know each other. The hypocrisy of these people. They are not standing for justice. That's the scam they're saying. They talk about BLM or gay rights or LGBTQ rights. And they're only fighting for this social justice when it's convenient. But when there's actual injustice, that we are, they actually need our voice. They actually need freedom, free people to give them voice. They do not do that. They are the biggest liars and dividing America this way. So that's when I realized how this small group of elite like North Korea decides what's allowed, what is true, what what is untrue. And we are becoming like North Korea every single day. And I really think we need to stop this. Thank you, Yeonmi Park. The music means we have to go. Folks, pick up a copy of her book, While Time Remains, a North Korean defector's search for freedom in America. Yeonmi Park, thank you for being with us. Thank you. You're welcome. Folks, don't go anywhere. More to come straight ahead with Dr. Carroll.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Because I have a sneaking suspicion, Joe, that, that that data that we just showed, that mass murders are actually correlated with the availability of the AR-15. Right. Of assault weapons. And so it seems to me that there could be a general agreement among all Americans that that weapon should not be in the hands of Americans, that it shouldn't be on our streets. And so if we can't make that decision, it's not just simply about Republicans and the NRA and, and the gun law. It's about us. If we can't fight to get those weapons off our streets so we can protect our baby. That's Congressman Eddie Glaude Jr. on MSNBC, The Morning Joke. Earlier today, mass murders are actually correlated with the availability of the AR-15. Um, I have to disagree. I mean, I, I'm no um, a medical or, or psycho- psychological professional, but I can tell you I think mass murders or any murders typically happen by crazy people. Um, and maybe it's not the right word to use, but the mentally ill or somebody that's you know seriously enraged, not um, the availability of a particular weapon. But that's my position uh, here to help us make sense of what's going on with um, these individuals that are mentally ill, like the uh, shooter in Texas, Mauricio Garcia, uh, or even uh, the inavailability of the manifesto from uh, the uh, previous shooting is our one of our favorites here on America at Night, Dr. Carol Lieberman, MD, MPH, psychiatrist and therapist. You might know her as America's terrorist therapist. Dr. Carol, welcome. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to have you. Um, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I I can't help but think when I see an article, Military.com, Yahoo uh, News as well. Texas mall shooter failed army infantry infantry training over mental health. And clearly there were all sorts of signs that this guy had had issues. Um, It's not a question of, you know, are we doing um, enough to screen people for for guns, which is definitely a a question. Uh, But the bigger question to me is how we're not providing more of a support system to individuals with mental health. What's your take? Yes, absolutely. Um, That is the really underlying issue. And it's only gotten worse with the pandemic and the uh, lockdowns because a lot of people who were uh, getting mental health help, um, you know, were locked down. And a lot of there was less availability of um, psychiatrists and psychologists and, um, and, you know, it's interesting with the Texas shooter, he actually makes some comments about, um, he commented, you know, on social media, they're looking at all his, his comments. And um, there are some about, he's, he's talking about his mental health and he's talking about the mental health system. And he says, I don't think any psychologist would be able, would have been able to help me. Um, it clearly, it seems like the mental health system failed him. I don't know how much effort he made to get help from psychiatrists or psychologists, but um, but he fell through the cracks in any case. Right. And and I think it, it, it goes to a lot of things. I mean, if, if you know that you can't get through the military because of that, um, I'm hoping there's some sort of safety net somewhere that says, hey, look, you, we can't have you here 
because, you know, you, you have these issues. Uh, but you've got to go here and get the support. And maybe he did go. Maybe he didn't go. Maybe they referred him to the VA. Uh, I, I'm just thinking, you know, this is an area where we, we need to do that. And to me, it's it's silly, egregious and dangerous, if you will, to even think that this is um, something that we could blame on the availability of, of weapons as opposed yeah. to on someone that's clearly having a problem with mental health. Yes, it's not, you know, of course, this was yet again, another great example to, um, for those who want to ban guns to come out and say, you see, <laughs> um, you know, this is a, here's yet another uh, example of why we, why we should ban guns. I mean, that's what people who are of that political bent want to say. But, um, but no, you know, totally ignoring the mental health aspect. And then if you talk about the mental health, there are those who would say, oh, well, don't, you know, um, stigmatize people with mental illness. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I don't think we should stigmatize people with mental illness, but we certainly need to um, call a spade a spade and get help for those people. And, you know, this all started um, years ago, at least a decade ago, uh, probably more, when the mental health, the state mental hospitals were closed um, because with the idea that uh, it would be better for people to have um, less restriction, you know, the least, um, the, the better, the idea was that if you let the people out of the mental hospitals and you just assign them to their local clinic, um, that then they would have the least restrictive environment. That was the key, the buzzword, least restrictive environment. So that if people are home and then they can go to their to a mental health clinic and get medication and maybe get therapy if they're lucky, um, then that's the best way to go. Well, in fact, it was a ridiculous plan from the get-go because people with, with serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia or manic depressive illness, bipolar, um, when they stop taking their medication, they become psychotic again. So they can't find their way literally or figuratively to a local mental health clinic. And so um, after, you know, the medication runs out from the last hospitalization that they had, then they get psychotic again, and then they do crazy things like what this man in Texas did. Yeah. Uh, folks, we are. It's, it's such a sad thing to, to see this happening. It really is. Uh, our guest, Dr. Carol Lieberman, she's a, a medical doctor, psychiatrist and a therapist. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion with her. We're talking about the Texas mall shooting. Uh, we're also going to touch on a couple of other topics uh, as well. And I want you to stick with us. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Dr. Carol Lieberman, and uh, we're discussing um, what goes on inside the mind of these shooters. And in um, in this case, uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman, my, my question for you is, the what is the sense of, uh, 
I'm going to go with satisfaction or or the motivation uh, that comes from someone doing uh, such a thing. Is it martyrdom? Is it that I'm finally going to get, you know, this last uh, bit of publicity? Uh, or is it really an uh, an animus of, of hatred towards the group they're shooting if, in fact, they are shooting a particular group? It really um, varies. There are different motivations for different mass shooters. I mean, there's a certain pattern for all of them, uh, each of them, but who they target or if they target, I mean, apparently um, this man, Mauricio, didn't really, he just got out of his car at this mall and started shooting. And it it seems like he shot various, you know, ethnicities and so on and Mm -hmm. ages um, so it didn't really seem like he was looking for a particular type of victim. Uh, although on social media, he was, you know, he, he said he seemed he was connected to uh, Hitler and, and um, he was talking about women. He, that This is an interesting thing. Tip, not This is sort of a unique, well, maybe it's not, I think it's going to be less and less unique. But um, he talked about identifying as an incel. Um, oh, you know, that was my next question. <laughs> Yeah, involuntarily celibate. Um, you know, I think we we talked about this before in regard to mm-hmm. Brian Koberger. He was an incel. Um, these are men who have been rejected throughout their life by women, and they develop a hatred towards women because they feel like you know no women, no woman would want to have sex with them or go out with them. And um, and apparently that's part of what was his motivation. It's really, you know, it's, it, it, in some ways it's unfortunate that he died because his mind would have been incredibly interesting to explore. Um, he had hatred for all these minorities and for women and, and for his, he identified as Hispanic, but he also had hatred for Hispanics. And um, he was talking about Aryans, you know, should wake up and uh, realize that they're, that they're, you know, that, that they're being attacked or they're being over, you know, I wonder, I couldn't help but wonder if the timing of this, and particularly because he lives in Texas, um, had something to do with this tsunami of um, people who are going to, illegals, who are going to be coming over the border uh, on mm-hmm. Thursday, the starting on Thursday. Title 42. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it almost seemed he also identified as an Aryan, even though he, he was Hispanic. And so he it seems as though, um, I don't know, that he was angry that all these other Hispanics were going to be coming over, flooding into America. I think he had a number of different things going through his, his troubled mind. Yeah, it seems that way. And. And it, it, it from other than the incel component, do you see any similarities with other shooters? Well, yes. I mean, the problem is we don't know very much about him other than, right. for example, that, that uh, video that he left. That was rather interesting. The video where he uses the mask from Scream, the, um, the right. horror movie Scream. Um, and then he also left a voicemail where he talked about money. Um, you know, if, if you're my parents, um, you should have given me more money and and lending institutions should have given me more money. But if you're a woman, uh, I have a lot of money, you know, really sort of bizarre things. And what's interesting is he was thrown out of the army um, still in basic training. That was in 2008. And so he would have been approximately um, 18 at the time, which is the time when schizophrenia usually 
uh, becomes manifest. It was, so 2008 was 15 years ago, so he would have been approximately 18. Um, so he might have had schizophrenia. I mean, it's really, um, he worked as a security guard. A lot of times paranoid schizophrenics work as a security guard because it fits them, uh, because it's a, a job that you do as a loner, you know, you're you don't have to work with people. <laughs> um, mm. And also if you're paranoid, you know, and you're able to carry a gun and think that you're protecting something and protecting yourself really, um, then that fits. But he, his license to be a security, a security guard uh, expired in 2020. And he had three jobs as a security guard, but he seems to have not had one in recent years. Um, he was living in a motel. So clearly he was, you know, having financial difficulties, uh, it's, it's, there is a pattern. Um, but because we don't know enough about his earlier years, it's hard to know if he fit into it. Like the typical pattern is, um, for mass shooters is they have a dysfunctional relationship with their parents. They have some kind of mental illness that is either not treated or insufficiently treated. They are, um, uh, obsessed with playing violent video games um, in school or in life, they are bullied or ostracized. Um, and then there is some trigger, you know, then something happens, uh, something that shames them or makes them feel hopeless or makes them enraged. And um, it triggers their final, you know, their final act, which is to, um, to do a mass shooting, to, to go down in flames. And, you know, one of the things with him that's interesting is that he posted pictures of this mall uh, on social media. And I think that that was a cry for help. I mean, he, he posted not only pictures of the mall, but also the times that there were more people at the mall, the most people. Wow. So, you know, I think that that was a cry for help. I think he was maybe hoping, part of him was hoping, that somebody would recognize that he had these nefarious plans and do something about it. And also, clearly, another in these final acts, they are also hoping for uh, suicide by cop. Wow. Folks, we're on with uh, America's psychiatrist, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And uh, we're going to continue our discussions on the news of the day with her straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. The verdict is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. Absolutely a shame. This was a very unfair trial. That's all you have to say. This was a very unfair trial. All right, that is uh, former President Donald Trump reacting to the verdict today by where the jury found him not guilty of rape, but liable for defamation and battery. Uh, Joe Tacopina, President Trump's attorney, says that uh, Miss E. Jean Carroll abused the system by bringing a false claim for, amongst other things, money, status, and political reasons. And in doing so, she's minimized real rape victims 
uh, you know, rape victims down by the water and around the world, to use someone's words. She's exploiting their pain and their suffering and is capitalizing on their stories, and we can't let her profit to the tune of millions of dollars for her abuse of this process and her efforts to deceive you. And that's uh, Takapina addressing the jury. Now, um, Ms. E. Jean Carroll brings in a clinical psychologist contracted by her legal team to testify that she evaluated Carol, and by she I'm talking about Des- Dr. Leslie Leibowitz, who has evaluated Carol and found that she has no signs or thought of any character disorders or any mental illness or PTSD, but that she ha- but she has been harmed by the alleged rape, uh, saying, quote, she suffered from painful intrusive memories for many years. She endured a diminishment in how she thought and felt about herself and perhaps more, most prominently, she manifests very notable avoidance symptoms which have curtailed her romantic and intimate life and caused profound loss. So our guest is uh, Dr. Carol Lieberman, who uh, herself has been an expert witness. And I'm just wondering here, you know, if I were in the jury, I'd say, you know, on one hand, the, the their psychologist is saying that she doesn't have PTSD, mental illness or any character disorders. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, she has been harmed in a mental kind of way and kind of describes PTSD. Can you have it both ways, Doc? <laughs> Only if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I, 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 I was outraged by by this verdict. Um, and I don't know why, if the other side, if the uh, plaintiff had um, a an expert witness, I guess she was a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, um, but anyhow, a psychiatric expert witness. Um, I don't know why. I mean, Trump's side didn't didn't really present anything. I mean, because they were trying to say this is an outrageous claim to begin with, and therefore we don't need to present anything. But they whenever yes, I am a forensic psychiatrist, an expert witness, been doing this for over twenty years, hundreds of cases, including um, rape and sexual harassment and sexual assault and all of that, and. Um, so I know, you know, how to tell when a woman is uh, faking it or when she's doing it for all, all other reasons. And clearly this was not a very good, uh, what you do is you evaluate the person making claim. And I've, I've been on both sides, the, the side of the woman, typically a woman who alleges these kinds of things and on, and on the side in other cases of the man who is defending himself. And the way to do it is you have to do a really intense uh, evaluation of the woman, who the plaintiff, and find, uh, if, first of all, find if there are any psychiatric symptoms of anything, depression, anxiety, PTSD, anything. And then if there, whatever there is, you know, the, the, the claim is emotional distress. You're claiming that this incident caused you emotional distress of one type mm-hmm. or another. But if you can find other things in this woman, that would have caused whatever this emotional distress, you know, although it doesn't really seem like the, th- the expert clarified any emotional distress, but whatever there was, you find other, um, it's obviously there were other things in this woman's life who caused her to have these problems. Like, yes, they're blaming, they're saying that she isolated herself. She didn't have companionship for all these years after Trump allegedly did this. Really, lady? <laughs> you know, I don't think. <laughs> it's been like a million years. Uh, Doc, uh, I know you're scheduled to to cut out right now, but I'd like to pursue this with you. Do you have the ability to stick with us for a few more minutes? Sure, sure. 
All right. We're going to come back with Dr. Carol Lieberman and then open phone America. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't go anywhere. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and welcome to Open Phone America, the third hour of the program where we take your calls from across the country. Uh, we have uh, broken tradition and retained our guest from the previous hour because the discussion was really interesting. And uh, Our guest, Dr. Carol Lieberman, America's psychiatrist, uh, who is a forensic uh, expert witness and forensic uh, psychiatrist, Psychiatrist has um, was weighing in on the reaction uh, of today's verdict, uh, where uh, former President Donald Trump was uh, vindicated. He was cleared, uh, not found not guilty of rape, but was found um, liable for battery and defamation, and imposed a five million dollar um, uh, settlement or cost or whatever that is. Uh, levy that was imposed upon him. And uh, as I had mentioned, uh, his attorney had made some claims saying that the uh, accuser um, claiming rape obviously minimized real rape victims. Uh, And the accused, uh, excuse me, the accuser again, brought in her own clinical psychologist that was contracted by her legal team uh, saying that they evaluated her and that uh, they that she had no signs of character disorders or mental illness or PTSD, but that she'd been harmed by the alleged rape, uh, saying, quote, and this is Dr. Leslie Leibowitz, uh, saying that she's suffered from painful, intrusive memories for many years. She endured uh, a diminishment in how she thought and felt about herself, and perhaps most prominently, she manifests very notable avoidance symptoms, which have curtailed her romantic and intimate life and caused profound loss. And uh, just reading those words, to me, it sounds like somebody who gets fired from a really good job might have those same symptoms. Uh, and I just thought, you know, is that really the standard? And that's why we turn to the experts like Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back. Thank you. Yes, you know, these are it's sort of a mishmash of symptoms. Some of those symptoms are PTSD symptoms, but she's apparently saying she doesn't have PTSD. So it really doesn't make any mistakes. Another um, part of this is that um, the, the plaintiff didn't seek, for all these years, didn't seek any mental help, didn't, didn't go to a psychiatrist, didn't go to a psychologist, didn't get any kind of therapy for this, this traumatic event um, from the mid 1990s, and all this time she didn't get any help. Now, and she's a sophisticated woman. Um, she wrote a column and so on. Uh, you know, it's not like she wouldn't know how to get therapy. 
Right. So that's another thing that can, could have been used to disprove, um, you know, what she's claiming. And plus, it doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense um, if 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 they didn't feel that he that there was enough evidence to say that he raped her. How is there enough evidence to say that he, you know, uh, sexually assaulted her or, um, you know, why did they believe anything? Right. That was my question. I thought, you know, if, if you're, if you're clear as day saying that that didn't happen, then uh, what exactly are they saying did happen? And I mean, the whole thing sounds so preposterous to me. Uh, It really does. And, and the timing of it and how it's a million years later, it just, all of it doesn't make sense. And to me, uh, all seems to have the, in my opinion, as a, you know, observer of politics and, and the news, uh, I could say these are all the telltale signs of um, of a pseudo event, uh, just, you know, fake news uh, <laughs> yes. event. Yes. And it's very you know, unfortunate. There, yes. Um, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why women claim these things when they really didn't happen. I mean, you know, obviously... Um, it depends upon the situation, but like for example, in a in a work situation, um, sometimes or it could be any kind of situation. Sometimes a woman will um, hope that a man like will have some kind of sexual relationship with a man, and I'm not saying that she did with Trump, but and and then hope that the man will divorce his wife, and then he doesn't divorce his wife, and so then all of a sudden she cl- claims rape. You know, no, this wasn't consensual, and I'm not again, I'm not saying that they had a Trump and this woman had a consensual sexual relationship. But I'm just saying that there are all different reasons. Um, Sometimes women think, you know, they they sort of um, fantasize, like a man may remind her of her father or something or of some other man who they did have a relationship with. I mean, sometimes they don't realize that they're lying or that that this didn't happen. And sometimes they do realize this is just an out-and-out lie. And um, I don't know, you know, I wish we knew a little bit more um, about E. Jean Carroll to know more about it doesn't seem like see this is what you need to do if you're on the side of Trump you would need to go through a really detailed evaluation of this woman's whole life you know not just what she says her problems are because of this alleged rape but just you know who, what kind of childhood did she have? What other traumas did she have in her life? What was she, you know, was she, um, did she suffer? Was she afraid she wasn't going to be getting male attention? Did, well, the, mo- the clearest thing would probably be, um, again, I didn't examine her, unfortunately, but the clearest thing would be she was, she knew who Trump was. She was attracted to Trump. She was hoping that, um, you know, if she flirted with him, that he would call her and actually ask her out, something like that. And then he didn't. So then all of a sudden he touched her and it was rape. I, I, I mean, you know, um, and she does have this. She did. You know, she was somewhat of a of a public figure. And so uh, this is a way to get more attention. Yeah. You know, I think that this is a, a fascinating thing. And I appreciate you giving your insight on it because um, I, I find it interesting that they made use of a. Uh, of a, a clinical psychologist to, to try to make their case. And, uh, I, I, from what it seems it, the, um, the Trump side did not. And it's interesting to see, you know, how you would piece that together. And it makes a lot of sense to, uh, kind of figure out, you know, like any other legal case, oftentimes, was there another reason for this type of thing well, to happen and whatnot? Yes. Yes. And I just was looking into this during the break and apparently, um, Trump's attorney said that they decided not to put, this is ABC, uh, channel seven news, 
they decided not to put on a defense case ever learning that health issues were preventing their expert witness, a psychiatrist, from testifying. Um, I mean, that psychiatrist had better <laughs> had better be deathly ill. I mean, I can't believe how you how oh, you um, wow. you know you wimp out or you whatever it was um, at the last minute, right? With Trump, yeah. I mean that that's pretty crazy. Well, I I'll go out on a limb here and say I think they chose the wrong forensic psychiatrist. They should have gone with Dr. Carol Lieberman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Doc, thank you for offering your insight on this one. Uh, Really, really eye-opening, and I really appreciate it. Hopefully, you'll come back again with us soon. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more on this topic and everything else we've discussed tonight. Uh, We talked about Yeonmi Park, who defected from Korea, North Korea, that is, uh, and was sold into sex slavery on her journey through China and then walked across a desert to make it to the United States only to land at Columbia University and find out that they were teaching kids to be like the regime that she'd escaped. Eye-opening interview. If you missed it, definitely check out the replay of that at richvaldezamericatnight.com, richvaldezamericatnight.com. We have other uh, topics that I want to get to as well, plus your phone calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. In the United States, it's the number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 49. Uh, so this is right at the top of our agenda. All right. And that is uh, Secretary Blinken. Um, and uh, we're going to get to that in a moment. But he's talking about um, fentanyl and drugs and all that stuff that is uh, killing people. And in particular, with reference to El Chapo's children. And I just this is a story that happened a couple of weeks ago. And I've had it open on my computer for probably since since that time uh, about El Chapo's children. Uh, but uh, they fed their enemies to tigers, and uh, that's fascinating. That was according to the Department of Justice. Drug trafficking uh, provided a lot of cash for Los Chapitos, as they're being called, sons of the notorious Mexican cartel leader Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, And but the murder, mayhem, and torture just kept them in power. Those who dared cross them sometimes were fed, dead or alive, to tigers, according to the DOJ. A a statement that was released on April 19th accused uh, 28 Sinaloa cartel members and leaders uh, of, including El Chapo's four sons, Ivan and Alfredo Guzman Salazar and Joaquin and Ovidio Guzman Lopez, nicknamed Raton, which translates to mouse or hangover, uh, 
<laughs> okay, whatever you say, uh, of running the largest, most violent, and most uh, prolific fentanyl trafficking operation in the world. It also reveals that the siblings and their henchmen's uh, s- sadistic violence knew no bounds, as it's well known to cartel insiders and experts. Their bosses and the violence they commit is terrible, one source told the New York Post. It seems like there's nothing that can be done to stop it. According to the indictment, uh, the Novlato Sinaloa Ranch, owned by Ivan, 39 years old, was where rival traffickers and uh, uncooperative law enforcement officers and unfaithful cartel members were taken for interrogations that turned into horror shows. And eventually, uh, torture sessions, including waterboarding, electric shock, um, all sorts of craziness uh, were were conducted. One victim spilled the, uh, the beans, saying that, you know, they were disposed of once they weren't used anymore. The lucky ones got shot and died quickly. The less fortunate, according to the indictment, were fed to tigers that these guys kept as pets. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, I just, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I really don't. But let's go to Chris. Uh, he's in Rochester, Minnesota on KROC. Chris, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. All right, Chris. I guess the tiger got his tongue uh, going once, going twice. Chris, say something if you're with us. That, Rich? Chris, there you go. Rich. What's up, my man? Go for it. Not much, man. I'm just hanging out. I apologize. My name's actually Alex, and I'm from Iowa. I just didn't want to out my city in case I said anything, you know, too wild. <laughs> well, what's on your mind, bro? Um, I actually wanted to talk about that uh, specialist that you had on just a moment ago, uh, Speaking about mass shooters, I thought I could kind of give some, maybe give some insight. I, I'm a, I'm younger. I'm like of a of the younger culture, and I was thinking maybe I could kind of. Yeah. Uh, what's on your mind? In some way. Um, specifically, I guess it was um, kind of the culture seems to go underground. She was speaking about um, how this person, this mall shooter, or yeah, it was a mall shooter. Um, it talked about how he was Aryan. I've kind of noticed some things that are interesting in popular media for, for around my age group. Um, it seems like anti-Semitic comments are kind of on the rise in terms of like referring to Jewish people as, as money grubbing or like, I've just, I've just noticed that that's kind of on the rise. I don't know if that particular person was like blonde haired and blue eyed, but um, I've noticed that the rejected by women part also kind of struck me as interesting because I think, there's something that's not really being addressed in the culture right now is the sexual selection pressure put on men uh, from women, which I thought was maybe attributable to why he was feeling so um, like he was rejected by every woman. I I know it's the case that um, women tend towards having, uh, I believe it's that they're, they're more sexually like uh, what do you call that? They actually get through sexually. They, they actually like, propagate as opposed to men more often women do than men do so i feel like that's something as well there maybe and perhaps i think the last thing i should say about it and i'd I'd like to hear what you think about all all this sure i'm saying um is this idea of kind of over coddling um in the school systems particularly i think it's the case that um kind of violence or retribution for bullying 
is very much frowned upon. It's like, don't hit back. Don't, you know, don't shout back. Don't, don't argue back with a bully. Um, and I thought Jordan Peterson, who, who is obviously a bit of a controversial figure nowadays, but, um, he th- he had a really interesting comment that I thought was, uh, uh, good to put in here. Um, he said yeah. on a biblical line, actually, the meek shall inherit the earth, um, actually being interpreted from its proper Greek, uh, translation as, uh, those who have sh- swords, but will keep them sheathed. So as opposed to the meek, as in the weak, uh, he was thinking more so the, the strong self-discipline who choose not to, who choose not to, you know, fight. Right. They could do it. Yeah. Well, all good points. Uh, I think that Jordan Peterson is, I don't know, eight or nine out of 10 times, uh, pretty spot on in his analysis. I think he's a brilliant philosopher, uh, modern day philosopher. I think uh, we're going to hear a lot from him in, you know, way beyond his time. Cause I, I think he's very prescient on a lot of issues. Uh, but, um, so that makes sense. Uh, with respect to, um, the incel movement, I think, yeah, there's probably a lot of everything, right? I think there's, there's pressure that's on men. There's pressure on women. There's pressure on all sorts of people. Uh, I think ultimately though, this massive deficit of self-esteem where, you know, I'm going to use the word, uh, the lack of machismo, if you will, uh, that exists in the, in this group causes them to try to make this ultimate, you know, Custer's last stand of machismo saying, oh, you think I'm not man enough, right? The, the comment that the guy made online, I think it was indicative of that, where he, you know, it seemed like he was blaming everybody for everything that went wrong, but himself. And I think we can all be guilty of that in one way or another at some point in our lives where we're like, well, it's not me. It was because so-and-so didn't do whatever. And that's why and I get that. Uh, but when he makes the comment that, you know, um, the, the banks wouldn't give me the money. And uh, if you're a woman, though, I've got lots of money. It seemed like this was an important um, uh, uh, an important part of 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 what he was uh, living. Right. This this um, rejection or trying to impress upon women this level of success that he maybe thought he should have had but didn't quite have. So I think um, you're right. A lot of that comes from over coddling uh, children, uh, whether it's in public school or anywhere else. And not allowing kids to realize, um, you know, their full potential by by growing and, you know, scraping their knee and learning from those mistakes. Uh, I can't say that, you know, mental illness in any way is the fault of a parent, per se. I think different people, you know, have mental illness and they don't resort uh, to evil things. Uh, In this situation, he did. And I think that goes to your first point uh, about the meek. And those that are self-disciplined to do, you know, what is right in a situation where they feel aggrieved. So um, that's my thoughts on that, uh, Alex in Iowa. I appreciate it, brother. Always a pleasure to hear from new callers. Keep uh, the calls coming in. Eight three three four Valdez is the phone number. We're going to continue our discussion with all of you across America. Don't go anywhere, and don't move a muscle.
What else can you expect from a Trump-hating, Clinton-appointed judge who went out of his way to make sure that the result of this trial was as negative as it could possibly be, speaking to and in control of a jury from an anti-Trump area, which is probably the worst place in the United States for me to get a fair trial. We'll be appealing this decision. It's a disgrace. I don't even know who this woman is. I have no idea who she is, where she came from. This is another scam. It's a political witch hunt. And somehow we're going to have to fight this stuff. We cannot let our country go into this abyss. This is disgraceful. You have somebody running for office. You have a woman that's financed and lied about it. She totally lied about it by Democrat operatives like just about the biggest one there is. And she said that wasn't true. They found that she lied about it. And the judge wasn't even, I guess, letting it be put in as evidence. The whole thing is a scam. And it's a shame. And it's a disgrace Going to, to our country. All right, folks, um, you, you heard what former President Trump had to say there. And I want to go to Denise in Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, on WOND. Uh, Denise, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, this is something that I just do not understand. Somebody has to, like, shake me up about this because I've been to stores uh, in New York, um, Bonwood, Teller, Bergdorf, Back in the day, I mean, not recently, 20 years ago. And when you go, there's different kinds of stores. You have like the Alexander, Target type of stores from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And then you have Bonwitz and and Bergdorf's. When you go into the dressing room, into a low-end store, they give you, they would used to give you like a plastic number. So you have four things to, to try on. You had a little plastic number that said four. When you go to Bergdorf's, you don't, there's no such thing as a, a little plastic number. There's a woman who's standing in the, in the doorway when you're bringing in a $500 jacket. Um, she's seeing that you have a $500 jacket. Where was the person who was in the dressing room? Because there was always, and this didn't happen yesterday. This happened back, what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. There had to be a woman in that dressing room. Yeah, I listen, I, I agree with you. When I heard the story, I thought to myself, uh, of all the places something like this could happen, uh, why would it happen there? And and just again, just it seems bizarre to me the, the way the, the, the whole thing um, plays out, you know, like it just, you know, happened in the 90s. It's getting decided today. It just very, very bizarre. Very, very um, suspect, uh, uh, to say the least. Right, Denise? Uh, but uh, I think you raise an excellent point, and I appreciate the call. Big shout out to everybody in uh, uh, South Jersey there, Egg Harbor Township, W-O-N-D. Let's continue. Let's go to Sue in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, W-X-D-E. Sue, go right ahead. Yeah, so I'm calling about that Trump thing as well. I mean, I haven't been following all the details of it, but from what I heard... He couldn't even remember the year it happened. I mean, and if that's true, how could they even bring a case like that? How is a person supposed to defend themselves and say where they were? Could anyone say that they were even in the same building on the same day ever? 
I mean, and your last caller made very good points about the dressing room situation. And does he really need to go into a dressing room to rape? I mean, does he need to rape anybody? The whole thing was I totally made up, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, totally with you. The the um, the whole story just it just sounds horrible. And, and it was during a time I remember during that time where lots of people um, of prominence were were being um, kind of uh, put on that way. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people uh, of significant influence and power that don't do weird, creepy things. R. Kelly, um, Bill Cosby, to some degree, uh, the. Um, the, the the big one I'm forgetting his name right now is Harvey Weinstein, uh, but I I think the, those were people that that needed something one way or another. You know, uh, I think Trump de- never he never came across as as the type of guy that was uh, was needy in that regard. He was married over and over again. You know, it it was it was like Bill Clinton, right? You know, I, I don't think Bill Clinton was raping anybody either, right? The women were throwing themselves at Bill Clinton in the '90s, and, and I think the same was the case for Donald Trump. So. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I'm sure there was a line of women that were dying to throw themselves at him. You know, I mean, geez, I I really the whole thing is just it's it's just a joke. I mean, and they're persecuting this guy. I am so mad about it. And, you know, it's just an unending list of uh, persecutions of Donald Trump, all because they're afraid of not just him, but the people that support him. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, and I appreciate the call, Sue. Big shout out to everybody in your neck of the woods and listening on WXDE. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. I see we've got calls from Kentucky, from Montana, and more. We're going to get to you momentarily right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We're not negotiating on this. Uh, We've been very clear. It is their constitutional duty to take action. America should pay its bills and avoid a catastrophic and dangerous default. That's not a partisan position. I think we should pay the bills and then negotiate. Well, there is no plan B. Our plan is for Congress to act to address the debt limit uh, without conditions, just like they've done 78 times in the past. All right, so uh, that is a montage of Democrats saying they will not negotiate, they will not negotiate, they will not negotiate. Now, listen, I get it. It's Washington. Politicians say things that they don't always mean. Um, And contrary to the widespread claims that the U.S. government will default on its debt if Congress doesn't raise the debt limit, federal law and the Constitution require the Treasury to pay the debt, and it has ample tax revenues to do this. So, no, there won't be any cancellation of Social Security benefits. It won't be affected by a debt limit uh, stalemate unless President Biden somehow illegally diverts Social Security revenue to other programs. That would be a problem of his doing, not, you know, something that comes from the debt limit uh, negotiation. The debt limit's a valuable tool for transparency, accountability and giving voters an ongoing say in how their money's spent. Now, this is according to AdjustFacts.com, the debt situation. The U.S. national debt has grown by $8.2 trillion since 2020, and it's now 
$31.5 trillion. This is an average debt of $239,763 per household in America. Those figures don't account for the government's fiscal liabilities and unfunded obligations. So just chew that for a second. That's that's horrible. But it comes down to exactly what I said the other day, that this is not about not paying our bills and defaulting on things that we'd already been obligated to pay. This is we want to spend more and more on things that we have. And we're asking our credit card company to say, hey, give us more money in, in our credit card. Uh, that doesn't mean that we uh, we're not paying our electric bill, this bill and the other bill. Right. This just means we have a spending problem and we need to handle that and not go to the credit card company and say, can you lend me more money or to your bank? You know, who holds the note on your house saying, hey, can you give me a home equity line of credit? Right. Because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to spend more. Um, but there is enough tax revenues to, to pay the current bills. Nobody's defaulting on anything. And one really has nothing to do with the other. But they try to conflate it because they're appealing to the, the kind and good sensibilities that people have. People are decent people that want to pay their bills. And that's just the bottom line. So shame on the Democrats for doing such a thing. Now, I want to continue our uh, open phone America phone calls. Let's go to Wanda. She's in Hopkinsville, Kentucky on WHOP. Wanda, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, good evening. Um, my, I'm Likewise. just a little bit, I'm a little distraught behind the media. They keep saying to me, that all these people that are doing this shooting and killing, all of them are mental. Now, how can someone plan a week ahead of time what they're going to do and then go do it? To me, I just feel like we need to call it evil and quit trying to appease to the victims' families and the masses. Yeah, listen, I think you're raising a good point. I agree with you. I'm not saying they're not mentally ill, because I think you have to be mentally ill to, to come up with such an evil plan. Uh, but it doesn't mean that everybody that's mentally ill is evil. Understood. A lot of people can come up with a plan. I can come up with a plan. But I'm, but I'm not mental. I, I have, a, I'm, have a feeling these people knew exactly what they were, they were going to do. And I don't think we need to call it mental. I think we need to call it evil. Now, that's my opinion. Yeah, well, listen, it's a point well taken. Uh, I think that uh, oftentimes the, these premeditated murders, whatever they are, uh, whether it's the, the, there was a, a case I read yesterday of a wife that poisoned her husband and and um, it didn't work. So then she got like a bunch of fentanyl and put it in his drink and then he died from that. And then she wrote a book about dealing with grief, a children's book at that. And then they found out she was the one that killed the husband that she wrote the book about. And, um, you know, I have to say, there's got to be a screw loose somewhere when you start killing people like this. I, I, I agree that it's evil, but I think people become susceptible to evil things when there is a mentally ill screw loose. Uh, I think y you need one with the other. Maybe I'm wrong. And if you think I'm wrong, feel free to give me a call back. But Wanda, thank you for chiming in. I really appreciate your um, your contribution to the conversation. Uh, big shout out to everybody in Hopkinsville, Kentucky and WHOP radio. And uh, let us continue. We are going to continue with uh, Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Go right ahead. Hi there. Hey, it's uh, Rich. It's uh, 
I I want to speed this up a little bit here. And here in Montana, we have a they say it's a fentanyl is the biggest problem here, but I really think it's alcohol. There's too many bars per capita in casinos and and unsafe vehicles on the road. And you go to these casinos, you look at the tires, they're bald in the parking lots. And it's, uh, it's, it's a disgrace. It's uh, the leading cause of accidents on the roads in Montana is automobile and alcohol. Uh, and I think it's the number one in the whole United States. And uh, it's sad that, you know, okay, we have Lieberman. She just goes on about schizophrenia starts at 18. Most, well, so does alcohol for most kids getting out of school for the first time. And they're, they're, they get experimenting with alcohol. And, and they're not really trying to put together their car. From that point on, they, their life goes to heck. Uh, they're not you know, trying to evolve into being a productive person on the highway uh, their, their life is downhill and I think that's the same with violence in America it's more related to alcohol and uh, oh good point listen and, uh, I mean I, I don't know that I could agree with you because I haven't seen the stats on this I know that their uh, the fentanyl stuff was leading the charge with with deaths in America because Alcohol is a conscious choice, right? People decide to take a drink and then, you know, have another drink and whatever happens, happens. Most people aren't being given alcohol thinking it's, you know, um, a sports drink. They know what they're getting into. Lamentably, people are dying and they're calling it an overdose when it's really fentanyl poisoning. When they're when they're taking a Xanax pill or they're taking Adderall and it may not be a a genuine uh, Xanax or Adderall. It might be a counterfeit that's uh, laced with fentanyl and they die from that. So I think that that's the big distinction between the two is that people are dying of fentanyl, fentanyl poisoning when they don't even aren't even trying and don't know that they're consuming fentanyl as opposed to alcohol is again, a, a conscious choice that people make hoping to get drunk, right? I mean, that's the whole goal of enjoying the libations, Frank. Okay. Uh, but I want to say before we leave here is yeah. that, if you're going to look, if you're going to, in, to look for those kind of drugs, those illegal drugs, you're going to find them in a bar or a casino, more likely oh. than anywhere else. Yeah, you know what? And I agree with that as well. And I think that's a, that's a good point. When, when people say that alcohol and marijuana are gateway drugs, I've never been one of those guys that say, no, nah, listen, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've had a beer and uh, I never did anything else. I, I, that may be true for me, but uh, I agree with you. You know, uh, most people I know that have experimented with cocaine, they did it because somebody offered it to them in the bathroom of a bar. Uh, If you're not there, that clearly isn't going to happen. So, yeah, I think that makes all the sense in the world. Um, And it's a a point well taken. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI. Good point as always. Thank you, Frank. And uh, we're going to come right back to your calls and more. Uh, We're going to wrap up, but not before we get to our buddy Todd in Atlanta and everybody else that's on hold. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is a 
Valdez. First, I just finished, uh, I thought, a productive meeting with the congressional leadership about the path forward to make sure America does not default, emphasize does not default on this debt for the first time in our history. Our economy would fall into a significant recession. It would devastate retirement accounts, increase borrowing costs. According to Moody's, nearly 8 million Americans would lose their jobs. Unbelievable. If you're reading Moody's, you would know that all of this is already scheduled to happen because of your gross and negligent spending, Joe El Baboso Biden. And yes, there's going to be a recession and and, an economic job killing uh, because of the fiscal policies from your Fed. Come on. Come on, man. It's amazing how he can try to put the blame on everybody. You know, We've got to keep a real close eye on this guy. Let's go to Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Go right ahead. Yes, Rich. Uh, thank you. Um, I guess uh, Joe Biden cares as much about our um, fiscal security and the dollar as he does our border. Um, and if you look at how much value we've lost and how much debt he's added, um, the fact that they've raised the debt 78 times without any uh, constraints on spending is the reason we have you know, nearly – 32 trillion in debt, which is just outrageous. So I'm glad the Republicans are taking a stand. And, you know, he's waiting to the last minute. I mean, where has he been for the last two years, you know, on the border and on the budget? So uh, he's just uh, such a disgrace. And, you know, he's just trying to set up blame for the Republicans, you know? I mean, it's like they do the destruction and they blame somebody else. And, um, you know, with President Trump, also this what happened with that verdict. I mean, it's like I remember Roger Stone. He gets convicted of lying about Russian collusion, which didn't even exist. And I thought that's the most outrageous verdict until today. So, you know, the witch hunt goes on. This government ran an espionage, a sabotage, a disinformation campaign against a Trump as a candidate. And as a president, our own government did this, you know, and um, what I'm seeing is whether it's uh, Democrats in New York or in D.C., they're really just an organized crime syndicate. Outstanding. Uh, well, well put, Todd. Um, it was uh, really so succinct. I got nothing to add to that. Uh, just to agree with you, uh, it's the whole thing is outrageous to me. It's crazy that that there are people complicit in allowing this to happen. And by that, I mean those in the media, not even, you know, they don't even cash in on this. The media could just as easily uh, be honest about Biden and just say, hey, look, you know, we're in really bad shape. This guy's no good. You know, there were people that were adamantly for Biden during the last election that I see now on a daily basis. And they're like, I was wrong. This old man is destroying the country. And at least they have buyer's remorse. But it seems the media is still with it, still backing them up, and it's insane. Thank you, Todd, for the call. Big shout-out to everybody on WGKA in Atlanta, Georgia. And, of course, we're doing this again tomorrow. So take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it again. And just stay right here on this station because there's more to come. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs>
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.